In today's episode, I'm speaking to Dr. Jennifer Wong, the director of the new Wallace Annenberg Genspace. The interview explores both the challenges and successes she's experienced as a young woman in an authoritative position. In addition, we discuss her role in providing support for the elder community and what presents itself as today's most pressing issues. Hi. Hi. How are you? Good. How are you? Thanks. Let me just get aligned here. I always forget which screen I'm looking at. Yeah. It's so good to meet you. Yeah, it's so good to meet you too. Thank you so much for agreeing to talk to me and share your story. So of course, I'm so delighted to be here. Um, tell me a little about what you've been doing. Yeah, yeah. Right. So, I'm so sorry, I've been running. I did get your questions and I read up them through yesterday. Okay. Yes. The day before I did yeah. so um I'm I'm ready to go and storytelling is my jam so I'm good there but I just <laughs> wanted to know a little about you so I could just you know yeah yeah so um I think like last probably last May um I had an assignment in my contemporary East Asian studies class to like do a culminating project and I could either choose between writing an essay or go to like go through a more creative approach and obviously I didn't really want to write an essay so I decided to create something that I didn't think would be permanent, but it was just going to be kind of an exploration of like, since my mom's half Chinese and I don't know much about her uh, immigration story and like her family heritage, I thought I would like explore that. Um, And then it kind of just expanded from there. And then over the summer, one of my, the same history teacher actually, who uh, instructed the course that I took last year, um, told me about KSP. I think he heard about it through a student, but um, he told me about the opportunity to apply to KSP because he thought that it'd be a good idea for me to like kind of expand my curi- curiosity within like the Asian community and like also storytelling. Wow. So then I applied and um, so I started that I think over the summer and then um, I was, I think Catherine just kind of knew about like my experience in interviewing. So she set this up um, and yeah, so that's kind of where I'm at now. <laughs> so here we are. And you're, a, are you a senior? Are you? I'm a junior this year. Yeah. Oh, you are. Okay. Yeah. And where are you? Um, I go to school at Marlboro. I'm in Los Angeles. So it's near Koreatown. Um, yeah. Like kind of, yeah, kind of outside. Of I know it. where Mar- Marlboro is. Awesome. Yeah. I had friends who went there. So. Nice. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. Yeah, I feel like everyone kind of knows someone who went there. I know. I went to Cali in the. Oh, you did. I did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm a yeah. I'm a older, but a kid from LA too, and I went to um, Westwood Charter Cali or Westwood Charter Paul Revere and then Cali. Cool. Yeah. Uh, Because my mom um, taught nursing at UCLA at the time, so it was we lived by the airport, but we yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Very close. So do you want to, why don't you introduce yourself? Yeah. Oh yeah. Tell me, oh, you just want to know about me or what? Yeah. Just kind of what, talk to me about your role and um, what it is that you do and uh, you know, what do you consider your specialty to be? Oh, sure. So my role is, um, so I'm Jennifer Wong, the director of the Wallace Annenberg Genspace. And it is one of um, Wallace Annenberg's latest initiatives uh, here to kind of contribute to and support and energize and honor um, older Angelinos. Um, we are here located in Koreatown, which is really awesome. One of the most diverse neighborhoods um, 
in the country, if not also in just Los Angeles, it's mm -hmm. been ranked really high in terms of diversity, um, language, you know, diverse language use, um, restaurants, uh, you know, immigration, all of those things that make um, Los Angeles and the United States so beautiful. So we're really thrilled to be here. Um, we are on the campus of the Wilshire Boulevard Temple in their new um, community building, the Audrey Ermis Pavilion, which was created as, you know, a way to um, bring a community space to the Wilshire Boulevard Temple outside of the temple and um, and schools that they have here that are is so wonderful. And so the bottom of the floor of the building that we're in is a grand ballroom, followed by wonderful meeting rooms and a chapel. And then we're here located on the third floor. And then above us is a really gorgeous um, rooftop garden um, that you can see the Hollywood sign, which you can see from the third floor too, but you can see the Hollywood sign and the observatory and all across Los Angeles. And it's just, it's a very striking place to be here in LA. And it just reminds me of, you know, what we're here to do and how we're here to um, assist and help and bring life into this building that without us would be, you know, more of an event space. But now with us, it can be an everyday space. And I'm really glad about that. Yeah. So is Gen Space, is that like the majority of what they do kind of like the foundation or is there like more to that would you mind like oh sure so gen space is both a community space dedicated to older adults so a senior center and then also a um we we have the wallace annenberg leadership initiative here and i have two wonderful fellows um that are usc master's level students that are working with me on that mm -hmm. um and so on the one side, we and we're hoping to open, um, you know, all things, all, all we're in a good, good trend here. Yeah, um, we are looking to open January 9th um, to be open to doing a public, uh, like an open house to the public and members of Wilshire Boulevard um, Temple, and then opening January 10th. And we are, so we'll have programming for older adults, intergenerational programming. Um, we'll do special events and lectures and um, all these, you know, great kind of um, educational and, uh, and, and other types of programming, enjoyable programming that is surrounded by a couple of key priority areas. But um, in terms of the space, they're kind of arranged in, across four rooms, which is a fitness studio, a horticultural therapy space, a um, art room, and a tech bar. Mm -hmm. um, and in addition to those things, we're also really interested in wonderful storytelling and financial security and safety. So I'd say like those six things are our program priorities. Yeah. Um, and then we, uh, in addition to that, um, Right now, we've been working on while we're waiting for our space to finish up, we're putting on the finishing touches. Mm -hmm. um, we're, uh, you know, putting in sinks and water bottle filling stations currently um, <laughs> and throwing some art on the wall, some very intentional, very beautiful art. But that's what we're doing currently. Um, so while we're doing that, we're looking to, we have been looking for ways to engage in the community. And that's what brought us into conversations with um, KYCC and also with um, with other kind of nonprofits and um, wonderful or, uh, organizations here and around that sort of Koreatown. So right. 
we're doing some community outreach. We actually, one of my first events here was we had uh, back way back in March, which feels like a lifetime ago. Yeah. And, um, and where we were, we had one of the first age-friendly vaccine sites in Los Angeles. And we had the first age-friendly vaccine site um, in Koreatown. Uh, and we partnered with the Karsh Center, which is a wonderful food, food pantry um, and has been around for 30 years here um, in Koreatown to provide older adults and their caregivers and family members um, vaccines. And our oldest patron was 104 years old who was given the vaccine in the car. And then her two caregivers, living caregivers also received the vaccine to help keep her safe. So we are um, delighted to be involved in these types of community outreach. And we're doing a little bit more of that in terms of food distribution, partnering with the YMCA, um, you know, teaming up with nonprofits for Thanksgiving and other types of, you know, this, those events in terms of community outreach. So we can learn more about community members and they can know about us and know that we're coming. And then the other thing that we've been doing is doing some virtual programming. So we've been, we've been doing, um, intergenerational, uh, conversations with, between high school students at Loyola High and older Angelinos. Uh, and those ran all summer long while folks were kind of like off Zoom for summer. But now with, you know, with some schools still doing a hybrid or something similar, we've been moving towards doing um, kind of old school pen pals um, called Gen Pals. And oh. we're looking forward to doing those starting um, this fall. So in a little, in a, in a few weeks yeah. and um, have been recruiting uh, both high school students and older adults for those programs. Just yeah. trying to combat social isolation and ageism um, and give a chance for people to feel connected and tell their story and tell about their lives to a, to a different generation. Yeah, yeah. The pen pal thing, I think, is such a good idea because, I mean, I have like a great grandfather who's um, still alive and he lives in like a, an assisted facility um, or assisted care facility. And I like I email him very often and I know he appreciates that and like yeah, like having that connection via like email or writing or whatever it might be um, is actually like so helpful to those people who are like who don't necessarily get out as much and like who have been especially impacted by the isolation aspect of COVID. Yeah, so we're sticking those letters in um, meal on wheel food delivery back. Oh, yeah. So it's especially to people, just as you said, like, you know, that are not getting out there and are, you know, really relying on communication to come to them. And we can do that. It's so yeah. easy. It's, it's, it's such a joy. So I'm excited about that program too. And I love the male aspect, like, mm -hmm. no, know, I know. <laughs> it's so we don't do enough of it. We don't do enough greeting cards and letters and, yeah. um, and especially for older generations that we're used to things like that. I think it's, there's no better, um, opportunity than that. Yeah. It provides like a sense of comfort to them, I'm sure. So that's yeah. Cool. Yeah. Um, so you mentioned that you grew up in like near Los Angeles and like you went to school in Pali. So would you, or at Pali, um, would you mind kind of telling me about, uh, your family history and like where your parents are from? And if you have any kind of like extended heritage that you'd want to mention? Sure. So I actually, I feel like I'm in a similar boat to you. I don't quite, I mean, I know bits and pieces about my family's immigration story and story about coming to the U.S., but I don't know it all and I'd love to know more. Um, 
So my parents, um, my parents are, are from Los Angeles, mostly. My mom was actually adopted and lived her first few years um, in New York City across from uh, the park um, and then Central Park and then ended up moving, her, her adoptive parents um, moved uh, to Los Angeles and they were English and German um, and they owned newspapers and they bought a newspaper out here uh, near Arcadia where they lived in Arcadia um, and owned a newspaper nearby. I'm, I'm a little unsure about that one too. Yeah. Um, but my mom, um, you know, went to school in Arcadia and then went to UCLA and she got her undergrad and her graduate degree there and then started um, she was a nurse and a nursing professor. And I know she worked in hospitals in Santa Monica and, um, and Westwood and, and around Los Angeles and then ended up becoming a professor um, at, in, in the nursing department at UCLA until I was in maybe middle school or so. And then she started working for community colleges and ended up, ended her career at LA Trade Tech down um, in downtown. And then, and is still is heavily involved in health and public health, and um, has a has a, a wonderful philanthropic arm in terms mm -hmm. of being on the health ministry at our at our church and um, caretaking for lots of friends and family, and is very involved and and very supportive. Um, and then my dad. Uh, also grew up in Los Angeles, uh, near and around uh, Chinatown and Venice. Um, he is a 1.5 generation. His parents um, immigrated here um, and his mom was actually pregnant with him when she arrived by boat from China. And um, so, uh, yeah, and he went to high school here, um, went to LA High. A, a real local and then um and then uh worked for bike a bike shop and then ended up working for jc pennies for nearly uh 40 years and he currently is um post-retirement he did a bunch of traveling he loved to come and visit me when i lived in other places and and did some you know some great uh bike riding and such and then during the pandemic when um when bike shops were struggling to build bikes hot fast enough for people to use them and buy them. Um, he actually went back to work, working in an empty bike shop on Tuesdays where there were no people there. So he could just build bikes and he's been working there ever since. Um, so he's been working at, um, at bike attack, uh, in San Monica and Playa Vista building bikes and enjoying being a part of the workforce and a really great, um, kind of second career story during the pandemic. No, for sure. I think that's so cool that he kind of like made his way back to the same place that he started. Yeah, I think he just loves it. He loves educating people. He rides his bike about a hundred um, miles a week. He's incredible. He beats me every time. He's so fast. Um, and he is very passionate about the lifelong sport that is bike riding. Um, and, and it's really, it's truly uh, fun to watch him live that life and to be a part of it for smaller 20 mile bike rides. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then, yeah. And then I, I live, um, my brother, uh, currently lives with them and was, uh, you know, uh, moved, moved back in with them to help during, um, my mom had two hip transplants in the last couple of years and he's been such a great support. Um, and, and so we both are half Chinese and half, um, 
European mix. And uh, we know a little about our family history, um, you know, a little about, uh, you know, my grandparents, uh, my grandfather owning a laundromat here in Los Angeles and um, my grandmother working and, and the, a little about their immigration story and the life that my grandfather led while he was still here trying to get his family to come join him in the United States, but um, not nearly enough. Yeah, yeah. So it seems like you've got a really great family who's probably influenced a lot of what it is that you do. So what was your childhood like and like how did that inform your later career? So my I, my childhood was probably typical to many others here and, and you know, both during the 80s and 90s and also and early 2000s and also, you know, currently. Um, uh, my parents really were very passionate about my mom, especially about, you know, our education and um, and about, you know, being being very involved in community, you know, community stuff such as like Girl Scouts and church group and youth group and um, youth in government with the YMCA so you could learn about the government and how it worked and mm-hmm. Um, we played a lot of sports. I played soccer and softball year round and swam and, um, yeah, it was, it was probably pretty typical to everybody else, uh, spent a lot of times at the beach. Um, uh, yeah, it was, it was a pretty normal childhood. Um, and then in terms of my, uh, my mom was just always so passionate about healthcare and I, I would joke and just say, like, I'm not going to become a nurse. I'm not going to become a nurse. Like, I'm, I will not do that. I'm so, so different than you, mom, you know, like such yeah. a childhood rebel. Um, yeah. rebel. But actually, I ended up and, and I, you know, um, as with many uh, semi well-adjusted children, um, you know, saw a therapist early in, in high school during some transition and uh, and thought that I would want to be a psychologist um, and thought I would be a clinical psychologist. And I lived that dream for a while. Um, and like I have a, my mom said I have a ninth grade, she remembers and I don't, but that I had a ninth grade assignment that said, like, I'm going to be a clinical psychologist. Like, that's what I'm going to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I went to school um, to become a psychologist. And I um, I currently am an experimental psychologist. Um, but along my psychology journey, I basically realized that I didn't, that um, clinical psychology, the one-on-one counseling, um, the group counseling, the 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 cognitive behavioral therapy, the different types of therapy that are out there and really um, very impressive and, and well um, researched and established and um, tried and true methods and lots of innovation going on there too. Um, it just, it wasn't for me as a professional. Um, I had a hard time um, leaving it, leaving it, leaving the hard stuff that I would hear at, at work and bringing it home. And so I just, I ended up finding Uh, I also had struggled with the grace that is psychology and the grace that is therapy and the patience, um, I'll say. So I found myself um, looking for patterns, um, loving the research side of clinical psychology, the, you know, the looking at the case notes, the trying to figure out 
um, you know, what was going on or how, you know, what systems could be changed or supported to support someone rather than how someone might need to change. And that's, so I took a very systems level approach to a lot of um, my early involvement with, with um, being exposed to giving therapy. Um, and so I ended up, I went through a my undergrad and in my master's program still with the focus of clinical psychology. And it wasn't until almost my, my last year of, um, of my master's program that, uh, that my mentor was like, Jennifer, you're, you're not a clinical psychologist. <laughs> I was like, what do you mean? I've been working on this at that point. I've been working on it for nearly six or seven years. Yeah. And I was like, if I'm not a clinical psychologist, then who is? Because I am the most dedicated person out there. Yeah. He was just like, you're, n- that's not, that's not for you. So I ended up switching. Um, he was right. It was not mm-hmm. for me. And it took a really strong, amazing man, um, Dr. Uh, Larry Myers to tell me that clinical psychology wasn't for me. And so I went on and learned more about the experimental psychology, the study of systems and human behavior um, and animal behavior and how we think, act, behave and work within those systems. Um, And so from there, I studied really more um, human well-being and health. And that brought me to um, studying rural health, um, which brought me to aging, and disability in rural America. And then also just um, so that, and, and that kind of was my, my research background. And then I even, I was even frustrated with how slow things move in research. And I actually um, pivoted and had a wonderful opportunity to join um, some great colleagues at um, Nidler under the administration for community living and, um, and Columbia University, um, the Health and Aging Policy Fellowship, which is one of the only policy, uh, policy fellowships on the Hill in Washington, DC that brings um, aging experts to the Hill um, mm-hmm. to be experts and advisors um, and in and around DC um, with the help of the American Political Science Association. And so I totally pivoted and started, um, and started my help policy journey. And that is probably way more than you wanted to know, but no, it really no. was, it really was a way there, each of those pieces was so pivotal in figuring out who I, who I was and what to figure out who I was before figuring out how I could give back to my community. Like my mom wanted us to right, and, and to my family, and then ultimately to, to aim to create a, a better world for, you know, those who, um, those who are being marginalized, whether it's by, um, immigration status or by age. So I'm really in a place where I feel like I've, I've found that way. Yeah. Yeah. So what do you find to be your biggest challenge in terms of establishing your role as a female in authority because you have a very important position at um in at gen space and i'm sure like that comes with a lot of struggles and difficulties and kind sure. of sure yeah so one of the things that i mean not particularly 
one of the things that I find really interesting is I'm, I'm a pretty young person in my field. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I'm so pleased that, um, you know, that Wallace and Cindy Kennard have, have trusted me, um, with this role and Wallace's wonderful vision. Um, I, I know I'm the right person for this job and I'm glad to be working on it every single day. Um, but I know how both my youth um, may may look to to others, both the youth of myself um, and the youth of gen space being a new space. And so I think I'm looking for ways that we can be wonderful stewards of the community and really listen to what the community needs are and um, and find ways to partner with trustworthy uh, nonprofits and organizations that have been long-standing pillars of this this community, such as KYCC and others, um, the Car Center, the YMCA, um, you know, other senior housing spaces, food pantries, um, markets, the library, the Pio Pico Library, which is one of the it is the most highly trafficked trafficked um, library in all of Los Angeles, which is just wild and phenomenal, I think really cool. So looking for ways that we can, that, that people don't get distracted by my age or the age and newness of gen space and can really pay attention to what we're doing and how we can help and how we can support and enrich and celebrate, um, you know, community outreach and community strength together. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I know you've also been a part of planning um, this structure to benefit the lives of the over 65 population. So I was wondering if you could tell me a little bit about more, a little bit more about, you know, what you do to continue this um, plan and how sure. you, yeah, how you're planning. Everything. Sure. So um, soon after leaving my fellowship in Washington, D.C., I was continuing to work at um, Seattle Public Health, and I was mm-hmm. actually working on um, bringing together uh, professionals, health professionals, and social service professionals um, who may be interested or um, or excited about you know, trying to figure out what was going on with opioid overuse in older adults. Mm-hmm. Um, I It has been long kind of anecdotally believed that older adults were, you know, um, overusing and being overprescribed, um, you know, opioids, pain medication um, for decades. And, and many of them have used pain medication for decades and it, you know, your tolerance increases, um, over time, but also over time, our bodies decrease in terms of being able to metabolize those drugs. And so this weird thing happens where eventually your tolerance is so hot at one's tolerance can be so high, but their body can't metabolize what they need. And they end up overdosing, um, which is, heartbreaking and sad. And so trying to figure out how we create conversations about that with, mm-hmm. with older adults and their family members and wh- whichever else. So I was working on that, but I had this great opportunity to um, 
work for a, a group of philanthropic um, foundations who were sponsoring the master plan for aging um, with, um, so the Department of Aging in California was trying to create and did not trying to, but at the time they were, they were planning on um, a, creating a plan to transform California's services within the next 10 years to really account for the increase of older, older persons here in California and across the nation. So for the first time ever in this census, it was recorded that there are more people who are older than there are younger persons across the, the nation. Um, and so really trying to figure out how we transition things such as transportation and housing and long-term services and supports, things like assisted living centers and nursing homes. Um, how do we uh, strengthen the use of technology? Um, how do we think about broadband? How do we uh, strengthen understanding aging? you know, in younger persons, how do we change school curriculum in health and science? Um, so we can understand what it means to grow older and, and um, learn more about dementias and cognitive functioning, et cetera. And so there was this really great effort that was already underway where stakeholders in uh, across California from elder justice to transportation to um, Alzheimer's, um, you know, wonderful physicians in cognitive and physical, you know, um, aging processes were selected to contribute to both dissecting what was happening in California and dreaming big about what should happen here. And so I, along with a colleague, um, Dr. Carrie Graham, who was working at UCSF and UC Berkeley, we worked with these great stakeholders that were previously selected before my involvement. And so out of that, uh, I worked with our colleagues for, I believe, um, maybe 14 months or so. And we, and we created this great plan. So it's, it's out there, it's live. It was released in January under Governor um, Newsom. And it is a plan that will hopefully steer us in the right direction of changing the services that are provided or subsidized or supported by the California government. And then also ones that are um, both county or city locally, um, locally uh, provided as well. And so uh, working on that just opened my my eyes to all of the ways that aging, that, that services can support aging adults and those with disabilities, because oftentimes the supports are really similar, right? Um, somebody with a mobility impairment um, may use a walker that, uh, you know, a average 85 year old may also be using a walker, right? Yeah. So, yeah. Um, so aging and disability generally go hand in hand. The, the supports, you know, the solutions may be, may be the same, but, you know, the reasons why may be different. And so, um, yeah, I've just been thinking about that. And I'm in now in a place where, so I thought big about what happens. Well, how do we do statewide to now, as a single center here in a diverse neighborhood, what do I want to do? 
and what do I need to do and how do I um, make it attractive for older adults to want to come to it, enjoyable so that they are enjoying it while they're here and also sustainable so that it's life, you know, so that it continues to live on, um, you know, from, from month to month or week to week or year to year. Yeah. And there should be, for me, um, I, we work with a wonderful age-friendly architect that helped uh, transform our, our space to be age and disability friendly. And she always, Suzanne Stadler um, of Stadler and, and she always reminds me to find the delight. And I think that that's something that I, um, I take to heart very much is like things can be you know, we can, we can teach about health and we can teach about prevent, preventing falling and we can teach about, you know, immigration forms or Medicare forms or whatever, but where's the joy? Where's the delight? Yeah. Um, and that's something that I've been really thinking about. Mm -hmm. And I, you obviously have so much experience, like kind of navigating the whole community of Koreatown. So do you have any thoughts about specific experience or yeah, thoughts about the, ex the specific experiences um, or strengths that might be unique to Koreatown's aging community? Like, do you, have you seen stark differences between Koreatown, the Koreatown community versus others? Well, the, I don't know about, I don't know about differences, but, or per se, but one thing that I think is, that is so magical, and I think you'll understand too, as, you know, a descendant of, you know, Asian lineage is just, um, because of the high, um, percentage of, uh, of, uh, Black Angelinos and, um, Asian, uh, Angelinos and Latinx Angelinos here in Koreatown, there is a higher likelihood that they they either are involved when involved in and live with or at least close by mm -hmm. to their family members and so the opportunity for intergenerational families is huge um and that just means one um familiarity with older adults uh is is already ingrained in our family structures right yeah, yeah like it's it's different than like so i live in santa monica and it's less likely that my neighbors are going to live in an intergenerational home than it is over here it just it is it would less likely and so that I think is something really special and something that I love to lean in on and hear from. And, um, and I'm really interested in both for, you know, how does that change how likely they are to have transportation because they have a younger person that can drive them around or access to a family car rather than the financial burden of owning a car themselves or, um, or when they're driving, they may have given up driving or may, you know, may prefer not to drive, you know, are they still able to get around um, using a family car or access to a family car? And then, you know, is their adaptation and uptake and meaningful use of technology different? Have they, you know, because they live in a household where they can, they have like a 
someone who can maybe help them out, you know, yeah. what does that look like? So I love knowing about things like that, hearing about things like that. Likewise, our younger generations um, more exposed to the aging process, or maybe they know, maybe they're more blessed than I am to know about their, um, their family history and lineage and stories of their ancestors, um, you know, because they're listening to their grandma talk about it every day or, yeah. or every once in a while, or, you know, especially over the holidays or during a significant event, um, you know, like our wonderful uh, celebrations of those who passed right around Halloween are coming up, you know, there's just a different, um, and we have, you know, the New Year celebrations um, here at the temple, they just celebrated all their high holy days, you know, there's just so much um, so much vibrancy around culture that I think is really spectacular here in Koreatown. So I love that. I think it's easier to learn from one another when there's a source of, um, of vibrancy and pride and, um, and also ability to share rather than feel defensive about right. these things. So I love that. And I think Koreatown's a space where there is really, um, that acknowledgement and celebration about the multicultural cultural nature that has become Koreatown. Yeah. Has observing the elder community changed the way you plan on approaching taking care of your family as they get older or as you, as, as you would want to be taken care of as you get older? Yeah. My parents used to, um, my father always said like from a young age, like, well, when I'm older, I just move in with you. Yeah. yeah. And, um, and my mom, who is not Chinese, right? She's she's white. She was like mortified. She was like, well, you live with her, but I'm going to live down the yeah. street. Yeah. She was like, I'm not moving in with you. Like, that's so weird to say to a seven-year-old. Like, yeah. what are we doing? Take care um, of me. And, and right. Um, but, you know, as, as I get older, it makes more sense. Um, and even now, I mean, I've, uh, in the last few days, um, you know, my, we, we live about 20 minutes apart, but, you know, I went to a, my, I went to a Dodger game with my mom. My dad helped me come and check out my car from a body shop the other day. And then my mom came over and had dinner with me. So it, it, you end up living your life in a way that is um, very different than I would have said 15 or 20 years ago, or when I was in high school, right? Because, because um, you just don't think that way. But now, you, you worry that your parents are, you know, um, now that they're retired or, you know, are staying safe from the coronavirus, um, you know, and still socially distancing and, and other things, you know, you want to make sure that they're engaged and that they have stuff safely to do. My parents come and watch me play softball every Monday with, mm -hmm. um, with my friends um, that I've had some of, some I've had for nearly 20 years and, and others are newer friends, um, but it also inspires their parents to come and hang out and then they get to they talk. talk yeah. They haven't talked for 10 or 15 years since yeah. we stopped playing sports together as young, young people. So it's kind of a fun, um, it comes full circle. And I think I'm open, I'm open to listening to their needs more than I've ever been. Yeah, for sure. And what do you hope to be kind of the legacy that you leave or what you wish to kind of 
yeah what, what kind of, what is the legacy that you hope to leave by the time you're done with gen space or just in general oh um a question question i know um honestly uh i hope that i that gen space and gen space under my leadership um continues to be responsive and reflective of the community that we look to serve and we welcome here um we and and for myself i hope that i continue to both find things that are warm and familiar and also innovative and fun and really find a way to balance those things um and and bring older adults with us as technology and innovation continues to grow. It's my hope that we create that bridge so that they can learn some of these things or stay in, um, in relevant culture um, and, and we can continue to help them do that. And lastly, I hope that we support older adults um, voice and story in our current culture. Um, with, uh, after a year, that we've seen some pretty hard storylines on older adults and especially Asian older adults. Um, sure. I, I hope that we continue to find ways to, uh, to bring, you know, bring understanding um, to, to more, to more folks. I just want to say thank you so much. I feel like I've, I've interviewed a lot of people and I haven't heard this type of storyline before and working with elders. And I, I know it's so important to kind of connect with that community. So I really appreciate you taking the time to talk to me. Um, and I'm sure everyone's going to be so excited to listen to this. Um, oh, your story. And, and for me, you know, would love, you know, would love to continue to hear about your interviews and would love to host you here at GenSpace and, um, and definitely uh, welcome the opportunity to yeah share our space with you where we are really looking forward to, you know, keeping it to be a community space while yes we are dedicated to older adults we hope that we can graciously and seamlessly mix younger generations in here so if there's a great opportunity for that to happen i hope that 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 is a uh, is something we can do together of course yeah that sounds awesome thank you so much i really of course happy friday happy weekend <laughs> happy weekend bye. thank you bye Thank you for listening, and we can't wait to see you in the next episode.